Good morning, Derek Arden. Or good morning here. <laughs> well, good afternoon here, Tracy Hooper. It's, um, it's five o'clock in London, UK. And it's nine o'clock in the morning in the US on the West Coast. And you and I have talked about the benefits of NLP. And I've heard about it for a long time, but I'm intrigued when you say the brain is smart. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting concept? The brain is smart. So fill me in on what I need to know about NLP. Okay, well, it'll be a pleasure. Fantastic to um, be with you in um, Portland, Oregon, at, uh, with an eight-hour time difference. So let me tell you a bit about NLP. Neuro, how, the way the brain works, linguistic, the language we use and the patterns we use, particularly when we talk to ourselves, which is one of the biggest issues where people lose confidence, your subject, um, and get a bit of the imposter syndrome as well because they got this negative self-talk and then programming. If you do something a number of times, it becomes then unconscious and you just do it naturally. So a lot of the concepts of NLP, which really only started in the 1970s, discovered by Richard Bandler and John Grinder in your part of the world on the West Coast of the US, because uh, that's where all the research uh, took place. Um, has then been brought into sports psychology. And you'll find that all the people in the Olympics and uh, the top sports teams will use psychology, psychologists using positive psychology. Psychology up to the 70s and the 80s was used, to making, used for making people who had problems um, get back to normal. And then they said, hang on, let's use some of these um, techniques to take people who are pretty good to be very good or brilliant. And therefore modeling excellence is really the whole tenant of NLP. In other words, if someone can do something, if you follow their thinking, then you can do it also. Now that doesn't mean to say you can, you know, I could um, run a 10 second, uh, um, 100 meters, of course I couldn't. But if you're doing something which is a skill using your brain. If I model the way you do it, the thinking you do, then I can probably do, you can probably do it as well, or I can probably do it as well. So in fact, that's why it's so important in sports psychology when it's just gonna be that uh, fraction of a second that makes a difference, and therefore it'll probably be up here. So I've um, prepared a few slides for you and for the people watching this. So I just need to share my screen and we'll go through them uh, fairly swiftly, because as I said earlier, that um, I said earlier that um, I spent 20 days studying this and I'm gonna give you a quick overview. But in fact, people can learn things really, really quickly. And that is one of the tenants of NLP. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna need to make sure you can see my full screen now. Can you see that? Um, Ken, that's great. So, okay, modeling excellence. And if there's a few typos in here, that's because I did it. I prepared it about uh, uh, half an hour ago. And I know anyone watching this will forgive me. So I picked out 14 areas of um, that come under the um, umbrella of NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Number one, making sure you have clear goals. Number two, managing your own state. Number three, building rapport. Number four, body language. Number five, sensory acuity, picking up all the signals. We'll talk about all these individually in a minute. Mirroring, 
pacing and leading, anchors and triggers, pattern interrupt timeline, language, words and self-talk, reframing, chunking, and actually just looking at the brain operating system, which is what, um, what this is really all about. And they dovetail in each other, but the whole thing is about being positive, being up for it, being curious, which is a fantastic word about curious about learning and curious about other people, how they do it, and being curious about yourself. So the first thing is goals, as we know that not many people have goals. Uh, people go to coaches and mentors to set goals, but actually they can do it themselves. And um, I always set goals and coach people in, uh, in eight areas, really, or seven or eight areas. Number one is health, because if you haven't got your health, you've got a problem. Um, health, then wealth, then family, then personal development, and then what you want to do with yourself, and then perhaps giving to charity, uh, whatever you want to do and maybe travel travel's always been an important one to me and we've been a bit stuck recently over the last couple of years and writing the goals down now there's a few little little techniques writing your goals down in your own handwriting mm. is very important and in your own handwriting for the simple reason that your hand is directly connected to your brain and therefore if you make notes in your own handwriting you widen the neurons in your brain. So there's a few tricks on that and having very clear goals and the clear goals will be to achieve it, let's say, by a certain date. So the 5th of August uh, 2021 it is today by the 5th of August 2022. So very clear goals, not next month, not two months time. If it's going to be a month, then you put a very clear date on it. So moving on to number two, please stop me and ask any questions. Uh, yeah, I you, will. If you want to, fantastic. Um, number two is state, managing your state, managing how you feel, managing your mood. Now, we do have a choice about this. Now, not if we're very, if we're not, not, not well, but we do have a choice because it's very easy to get up and start grumbling or put the news on and get all that negativity across. So putting yourself in the right frame of mind, in the right state, and one of the phrases I like is, are you in the right state or are you in a right state? So you know what I mean, mood, state, where you are, exercise, shaking yourself up, standing out tall, like my mum used to say, keeping your head up, all changes the chemicals in your brain. And then if you're going to meet a client, it's obviously very important that you go into that, framing it, with enthusiasm, positivity, having done your, having done your research and your preparation, being early and all those things that put you in the right frame of mind or in the right state. Number three is building rapport. Now, all these things are pretty obvious, Tracy, you might say to me, but they're so obvious that lots of people don't do them all the time because they're so, they're so, um, what should we say? Uh, Elementary, right, yeah, wrapped up in themselves, you know, rather oh. thinking about the other person, um, and so putting themselves into the other person's shoes, uh, perhaps, and we'll come to this mirror matching their body language, remembering in their book or their notebooks what they what was discussed before, what's the name of their family, what's their kids' names, what's their partner's names, where do they go on holiday, all those things that start connecting with the other side of the brain and uh, 
all these things we're talking about, people generally, you know, people don't do it. It's only the high achievers that are watching this, you and I, that actually do it and have it on, on their list. Number five is body language. It's five times more difficult to, to tell, to lie with your body language. Body language really tells the other person what you're thinking rather than what you're saying. So um, if you're a high achiever, therefore you want to be reading people's body language, picking up the signals, watching how they're coming across. And also it's important to manage your body language like we're doing here because you're not going to influence people if you're giving off poor body language, arms folded, a bit fed up and and all that and um you know in meetings uh, in tough meetings in conflict meetings it's important to read the body language of the other side to see what they're thinking so you can ask better questions and then we move on to sensory acuity which i was always thought was a bit of a californian word and i changed it a bit to sensory awareness but being aware of the body language being aware of the way things are said the voice tonality um being aware of, the, aware of the actual language, the words like I might pick up. If somebody said to me, my normal price is for this, I'd pick up the word normal and query and say, I want your special price. And then people don't notice, um, uh, they don't notice taste, they don't notice smells, and they don't notice their intuition. So they are almost the six senses of uh, sensory acuity. And I wish we had a bit more time to go into that because it excites me. All these, yes. all these areas. Then we come to mirroring and pacing and leading. So it was Milton Erickson, the um, American psychologist that um, looked at mirroring, mirroring with people that had huge psychological issues, psychotherapy, and he noticed that uh, he had to connect with them and build rapport. And a good way of building rapport with these people that had these issues was to mirror their body language, mirror their tone of voice, mirror their uh, the words, the exact words that they used, and um, and then and that was called pacing. And then when he paced them, and they had started um, copying his body language, he would the, then lead them to the place he wanted to take them. So, for example, if we were in a meeting and the client was defensive. The best thing to do is to go defensive yourself, which is a bit counterintuitive. Yes. Connect, ask um, some questions uh, and pace them and then maybe just gently open and see if they open. And if you connected and you build rapport um, at that point, you will find that they will lead. And this is a great fun thing to do with a friend in a wine bar or coffee bar or and just see if you change your body language, if they change theirs, and they will do. So once you become aware of this, you know, if we were having a coffee and I went sort of a bit like this, there would be a good chance that you might go like yeah, And right. people notice this. When you do notice it, it's difficult not to laugh because you are, um, manipulation's not the right word because we're not manipulating, we're, we're connecting. Connecting building report any questions so far you know yes Derek I always thought that mirroring was just about body language I didn't know it was about mirroring people's words or their tone of voice thank you for that insight I hadn't I hadn't known that yeah no it's very important so um, so Tracy you said to me when we started the call hello Derek Arden 
which was good. You threw me slightly there. And I so I said, did you notice? Hello, Tracy Hooper. Yes, I did. I didn't at the time. But now that we're talking about mirroring, I did. So I do when, I'm teaching, when I'm teaching this and uh, I teach people to do this, I typically answer the phone. Hello, it's uh, hello, it's Derek Arden. Now, when I ask people, what should you say back? At least 50 percent of people say, oh, hi, it's uh, Tracy. Um, rather than hello, Derek, mirroring two of the four words I've used at mm. about the same pace I do. So if I say, hello, it's Derek Arden, you go, hello, Derek. Um, have you got a few? Have you got a couple of minutes? Because if I've said it at a fast pace, being the tonality, then you should be, if you're listening, probably picking up the fact that he's busy. He's busy. Yes. So, you know, hello, Derek. Um, um, have you got a couple of minutes or would it be useful if I call back later? Um, and people notice that now on the high performance sales, salespeople, they would teach this, but rarely, rarely, Tracy, rarely. So mirroring the words, the language, the voice tonality, the speed of the voice, mm -hmm. never accents, never accents, mm -hmm. because you're going to be in big trouble if you mirror an accent. So if I tried to do a, a West Coast accent or you tried to do a Cockney London accent, you'd get it horribly wrong. And then what happens is people notice what you're doing. Mm. So it's not mimicking, it's mirroring. And generally it's gentle mirroring a bit like you and I are doing at the moment the most important one of the most important things Ericsson found was the angle of the spine and I, oh. I can read now that we're both sort of reasonably leaning sitting up leaning forward attentive looking at the camera oh. but of course the real trick, the real trick uh, Tracy was to mirror the breathing of the person now, when I learned that, I went, hang on a minute, you know, this is tricky. But then when you think about it, someone that's stressed, client that's anxious that you're working with, the breathing will be more breaths a minute than normal. Or someone that's had a real trauma, it will be almost hyperventilating. So what you do then is you mirror it and then you slow them down. Now, you can do this with babies and not that I was a dad at home very often without to, but... Um, I've had a lot of discussions with mums about it and mums say, well, if you hold a child that's upset and uh, you hold it to your body and you breathe at their pace and then slow it down, it works. Wow. But of course, where Ericsson picked this up from was that um, when we're in the safest place in the world that we've ever been for the first uh, nine months, we had a heartbeat, which of course was, was up with it in a mum's womb. We were listening to a heartbeat and mirroring her breathing, weren't we? So, you know, well, we couldn't breathe, I guess, but, but we were there. So people feel comfortable when you do this because it's safety. And it, this, this, all works, this all works below the um, level of the conscious mind. A lot of this works. And I love what you say about, because it does seem counterintuitive. If someone is breathing quickly, you breathe quickly to mirror them and then you can slow down and that encourages the pace to be more tranquil. Yeah, you pace them, they call it pacing and leading. Pacing is doing is, is doing the mirroring really. And then you lead, lead them down by, by slowing it down. So, um, 
you talked about the speed of the voice and the words. Yeah, very important to listen to the words. So in a meeting where you want to influence or persuade someone, if they say, well, we normally uh, we normally get a discount, you might say, well, I understand you normally get a discount, but uh, at this point in time, we're, we're not able to offer you one. What we are able to offer you to speak at this conference is 20 of my signed books. Um, or something like that so you play back you don't say no i can't do that because that's a total mismatch you say normally that's why i've always got a pad by me because i want to capture those words i'm frightened about forgetting them three minutes later don't want to interrupt the client when they're in flow do i so i i want to play so you know if i'm right uh tracy you said that you um normally don't give discounts well actually we normally expect discounts <laughs> or something like that. Yes. So you can see you can see where that's going and you can see. So what you're trying to do is connect with the other person's brain and tell them that you're somebody like them because as we know, people are only influenced mm. by the people like me. And so, you know, Derek, it's interesting uh, when I provide a, uh, what I call a discussion document for a potential client, it would be considered a proposal. I take notes, as you can tell, I'm a note taker. Mm. So I take notes during the whole conversation. And then when I'm putting together the discussion document, I use their words. Fantastic. And, they, and my experience is people say, wow, she gets me. She knows what I'm looking for. Is that your experience? Yeah, and that's why I was saying Nancy, uh, Nancy sorry, Tracy, come on, go mad. So I'm really in flow. That's why I'm saying, <laughs> Tracy, that... Um, uh, you will be doing a lot of this automatically. Watch a cup. Next time you go to a coffee shop, watch a couple of people in rapport, a couple of friends. They'll be mirroring each other's body language almost exactly. And when you put that into your conscious mind, you'll start grinning and thinking about me. Okay. Because um, I took a group of people into a wine bar in London when people did used to drink wine at lunchtime, and that was a long time ago just to look at the body language of people and we just did a little so but the problem was that people started noticing that there was something funny going on because we were watching them so <laughs> so it needs to be done gently and unconscious and uh, subtly uh, yeah unconscious. i love that that's great i love the mirroring part um one more slide i'm going to show you before we come to the end of part one uh and then i'll cover the rest in Part two. Can you you can't see that slide, can you, Carl? I haven't shared my screen. Not yet. No, that's always the uh, the problem here. Sometimes on Zoom, you have to uh, be guided by other other people. So anchors and triggers. Now anchors and triggers are really important in NLP, and they're really important in in sports uh, psychology as well. So an anchor is something that's fixed in your brain and that could be something from your mum said your dad said to you when you were a child um people from poor backgrounds aren't successful or something like that or people from um we li we lived in a council house a flat which um uh which wasn't very nice and my mum and dad didn't have any money and luckily my mum and dad were very positive people and they never said to me any of that negativity they said go out you can make a anyone can make a success of them but you know can you imagine if somebody said well you know um immigrants immigrants into the us um can never be successful or something and that's anchored 
in their brain. And maybe when they think about their mom or their dad or whoever said it, they'll, they'll remember that. So it's important that we have positive anchors rather mm -hmm. than negative anchors. And we're often not aware of what the negative anchors are. So that's another reason why it's very important that you surround yourself with positive people because you become who you spend the most time with. And therefore, mm -hmm. you know, if people are saying, oh, you're, you know, you're, you know, you'll never succeed or you'll never do this. And um, then you need to drop those friends, which is always very, very difficult or put yourself a little bubble wrap round. So the way you describe way with this, put a bubble wrap round and imagine that their negativity is bouncing off you. So there's all sorts of tricks you can use. But, you know, if you stick around smart people, you get smart stuff and you stick around uh, non-smart people, you get non-smart stuff. It's just the way the brain, the brain works. And of course, music is a fantastic anchor. So if I said to you, um, so let's say when you were going out with your first boyfriend or your first kiss or whatever it is, and uh, I can see you're smiling now, remembering it as I put it in your mind. And there was right. a piece of music that was number one in the charts at the time and it was being played a lot i bet when that music comes on a you know 1980s radio station you'll think of that boyfriend and you'll yeah. wonder why you were thinking of that boyfriend and you don't know and that's a real example of of an anchor which is why it's really important to play positive upbeat music that's uh, does things for you particularly when you go on to before you know like you and i we speak at big conferences you know, we need to be fired up 10 minutes before we go on. So I might play Wow, I Feel Good by James Brown or Fantastic Day by Haircut 100. Um, I want music where the music and the words are upbeat, not a love song about some breakup of a relationship or something negative. Most pop music's negative. The words are negative. So again, in fact, um, I had somebody on my chat show um, who was talking about this, their music list. And I never got it from them. They had a, they had a really positive Apple playlist, which uh, was all the positive songs. I must get hold of that. And I've got one as well, but um, it's good to get some new things in. So anchors and triggers. So before the Olympics, someone running the 100 metres, they'll have their own routine that they need to go through, and that will be triggering the anchor that sets them off to always always do it and anchors come in different formats it might be pinching yourself here tapping mm. your head pulling your ear you have your own private anchor let's say somebody was winding you up in a meeting uh, etc you might have your own sort of anchor to remind yourself to take a couple of deep breaths and not oh. react so an anchor is a physical is a physical manifestation of what you want to remember so if, if you know that yeah. there's a person in a meeting who always interrupts you when that person is interrupting you could you could go like this to remind yourself that you can speak up yeah if i was coaching you we, we do go through you know five six seven eight routines where you did one specific you choose your anchor but then we would um anchor it with with that feeling so that then you could trigger off not going potty or or um, by, you know, whatever, whatever it was, something that was private between you and I. It's a bit like taking a lucky charm into an exam, as kids do, or something like that, and rubbing the, the you know, the good luck charm to remind right. yourself to stay cool. 
So uh, is the lucky charm the anchor? Could be, yeah. Could and be. then, and then, tell me again about the trigger. The the anchor triggers you to then the trigger, respond. The, the trigger is the trigger is what sets the anchor off. Give me an so, example again. Yeah. So, let's say um, I'm about to um, run a race against some colleagues. Let's say it's a veterans race at my at my age and I've been thinking about uh, positivity. I've been visualizing past getting past the winning post, you know, uh, 500 times. I've done all my training for it and I want to be totally up for it. So uh, I've been visualizing this three or four times a day. And every time I've been visualizing it and I've been visualizing the feeling of winning and how great that is and et cetera, et cetera. And every time I've been doing that, I've been building up the emotions because it's all linked to the emotions and uh, pulling my uh, arm or this is another one in fact uh, a lot of politicians do this sometimes and that's an anchor to remind them to keep cool because it's not a rude sign mm. whereas you know if they're not careful and it's not a panic sign either so very often you know the politicians when they're presenting can't do this because it's too, a bit bit too aggressive so I think Bill Clinton did it, Tony Blair did it, Mrs. Merkel does it um, again. And what they're doing very often is really, really putting pressure on that, which is what I'm doing, but you can't tell I'm putting pressure on pressure right. on that at the same time, or it could be like that, but it's, you know, or it could be just four fingers together and you're really putting the pressure on. And also that's a stress release as well. Huh. So, Fascinating. So it's a massive subject, anchors and triggers. Yes. And of course, um, you know, Anthony Robbins from your part of the world doesn't call it NLP, but I mean, he's a genius at uh, teaching this. Um, but you just can't go on a four day course and learn it off of uh, Tony Robbins in a 5,000 pound, 5,000 people auditorium. You know, you've got right. to time on the coaching, which... Um, so, Tracy, I think we're just coming to the end of part one, if that's okay Great. with you. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the uh, Negotiators uh, podcast, please um, play it back. Please listen to it. Please contact me on um, action at derekarden.co.uk or join me on LinkedIn. Let's connect on LinkedIn. So thanks for watching it. Tracy, thanks for joining me. I look forward to seeing you in part two. Great.